0: Hello, Dismantling Injustice listeners. I'm Julie Menti, Communications Manager at Envision Freedom. I'm sitting in for Carl's host for this special episode so we can give you the latest developments on bail reform here in New York. As you may have heard, New York recently passed a budget deal that includes a third round of rollbacks to the hard-won bail reform laws that originally went into effect in 2020. My colleague Zoe Adele was on the podcast just a few weeks ago to talk about how those original reforms came to be, why they were and are still needed, the endless budget battle that has been waged on bail for years and what was at stake this year. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go listen now before tuning in for this week's. When we come back, Zoe rejoins the pod to share her insights and analysis of the latest rollbacks that pull us backwards by decades when it comes to fairness, safety, and racial justice. I am now joined by my amazing colleague, Zoe Adele, who is here to talk to us again about bail. Um, We got some disappointing news, and uh, Zoe is going to give us the rundown on everything that's been happening, how we got to this point, and what the future looks like um, when it comes to bail and pretrial justice and pretrial freedom in New York State. So thanks for coming back, Zoe.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You have been schooling me on bail and pretrial detention for years, and it is a dream come true to get to have this conversation with you publicly. Um, For our listeners, we have conversations like this every day, all day, um, and it's a real pleasure to be able to have them publicly um, and important to have them publicly. Um, so let's let's get started. So you were you were on the podcast just a few weeks ago to talk about Hochul's plan to roll back bail reform in the budget. The budget has now passed, uh, 33 days late, and in those 33 days, a lot was happening. Um, can you talk us and our listeners through what was going on in these past few weeks? Sure. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think the main thing that was happening was we were trying our hardest to prevent any changes to bail reform in the budget, Um, and that looked like educating legislators, urging them to push back against these rollbacks, um, but also recognizing that during the budget process, the governor really is the one that has a ton of power, um, but still using relationships with legislators using advocacy tactics like urging people to make calls. I'm sure some people who are listening were part of making a lot of those calls to legislators that are really important for legislators to hear from their constituents on why bail reform should have been left alone. That also included organizing petitions, um, organizing sign-on letters, lobby days, rallies, um, and writing op eds um, to really make sure legislators and the governor and the leaders hear us loud and clear that any changes to bow reform are unacceptable. So, thanks to a lot of the work that was done in the past 33 days and the advocacy of our partners, I think, especially in the case of discovery and speedy trial reform, the work of public defenders, we were able to keep discovery and speedy trial rollbacks out of the budget. Um, And also due to a lot of the work um, of our team and our allies um, and partners, we were able to prevent any dangerousness or like explicit dangerousness provisions by keeping in part of the language in the statute around um, and like the purpose to bail being returned to court. Um, which was the governor's proposal early on was to remove that. So a lot happened in these past 33 days. Um, Unfortunately, we were still left with a lot of changes to bail reform. But, you know, a lot of really hard work went into uh, making sure that people, especially legislators, knew how important it was that they not roll back bail reform for a third time. Yeah.
0: Can you, before we talk about what the actual changes were, why they're so disappointing and the impact we think they're going to have on our community, can you talk about a little more about the significance of preventing dangerousness from being added and the significance of stopping changes to discovery and speedy trial? Yeah, starting with
1: dangerousness. I mean, this is something that Over the past few years, prosecutors, some right-wing politicians, and the mayor have been pushing to include in um, our bail statute. And New York has never had this provision or standard in its bail statute because we know that, well, one, judges can't predict someone's future likelihood of you know getting re- arrested or committing a crime they don't have a crystal ball we also know that if judges were left to make this decision that's where we would we see a lot of racial bias creep in that we know that a dangerousness standard is racist and you know who are more likely to be seen as quote unquote dangerous in our communities New York again has never had this standard in its statute. For these reasons, we know that it will only result in many more Black and Brown people being incarcerated pre-trial. Um, and also, it's important to note that again, this is pre-trial. Um, so you know, judges shouldn't and can't be making these determinations um, when someone is still presumed innocent. They don't know what happened. They don't know. Again, they can't predict the future. So it's good that the bail statute was left as as is, like in that sense. I think we also know from our work, even the purpose of bail currently returning to court, bail isn't needed for that. Even if we are just looking at what bail is meant to supposedly meant to do now that people come back to court without paying bail. They come back based on our experience as a bail fund, paying, for, paying bail for 5,000 people. 95% of those people went back to court without putting any money down. So I think also just like on its surface, even what we have now, isn't, bail isn't necessary to do what the bail statute says that bail is supposed to do. Um, But just knowing that including this dangerousness standard would make things so much worse and would just like open up the floodgates for judges on top of all of the discretion that they already have to be able to incarcerate so many more people. Um, And then to discovery and speedy trial, um, it's really important to keep that intact to make sure that people actually maintain the right to a speedy trial and that defenders have access to the evidence and that accused people have access to the evidence against them. And we don't go back to a time where people were ambushed the night before trial, prosecutors just suddenly hand over all of this evidence the day before someone's trial starts. And discovery and speedy trial were really meant to give people fairer trials Um, and to improve fairness and justice in the system. And that was met with a lot of complaints by prosecutors that they had to do all this extra work. But really, you know, it's just handing over all the information that they have and not making it so that defense attorneys have to, like, guess what prosecutors may or may not have. So I think, yeah, keeping, at least keeping those rollbacks out of the budget um was a huge success just for people's rights um as they go through their their proceedings and again yeah keeping dangerousness out I think we're we're still up against prosecutors are still you know complaining that dangerousness is not part of of the statute so I can't I can't I don't even know if I can confidently say that like this is the end of that fight um, I think they're going to just keep trying to include that and keep going after these reforms because
0: I think they know that they're working, but we're just going
1: to keep fighting.
0: You know, you bring up a good point, like they're going to keep going after that just as they've been going after kind of all these other things. And and this is the third round of of changes to bail reform since it was enacted in, in 2020 that have really pulled us backwards in terms of the progress that we had made, which is disappointing and infuriating and really frustrating. And, you know, I think there's a misconception that these are just small changes or like little tweaks to language. Um, But I think you and I both know, and uh, legislators know too, that these aren't small changes. Um, Taking out a couple of words here and there has really Significant impacts on how the law is interpreted and how it's implemented. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about what changes we're looking at this time, and and then get into the impact we think that's that's going to have?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, in the simplest terms, I'd say these changes really just make it a lot easier for judges to incarcerate people pre-trial. Um, it removed some of the provisions that were put in place that were meant to guard against judges issuing excessive punishment, um, which were really important provisions. I think, as I mentioned before, especially because these decisions are being made when people are still presumptively innocent. Um, and when they're making these decisions in sometimes under two to three minutes, um, all the judge is going off of and basing their decision on um, with the current charge is whatever the police claim happened. Um, so with this round of rollbacks, there were changes made in multiple parts of the law. Um, but I'll go through I think, some of the biggest changes. And one of one of the big changes was that. This round of rollbacks removed the what's called the least restrictive standard across all cases. And really, what the least restrictive standard says is that judges have to set whatever conditions are the least restrictive to ensure someone returns to court. So that could be outright release, so like releasing someone on their own recognizance, that could be supervision or supervised release, um, or in some cases, that's bail um, or remand um, or electronic monitoring. Um, And just to go into a little, I guess, more detail about specifically the least restrictive standards, I do think it is really important um, to make sure folks understand exactly what that provision does and kind of how it worked in court um, and also how it ties in with something else That is part of our bail statute, which is a presumption of release. So, kind of what the least restrictive standard does is like essentially creates like a series of steps that judges have to follow when they make release decisions. Um, So, kind of first step is judges kind of start with that presumption of release. So, that's like the default. They have to start there and then it creates kind of I'll call them hurdles or steps that, you know, from there, if they think someone is a flight risk, then they can determine, again, what's least restrictive that's, you know, that they want to put in place to ensure that this person returns to court based on, you know, a list of factors that they can consider. And that includes whether the person actually has a history of avoiding court intentionally. Um, that includes the person's charges, their conviction history, and a bunch of other things. Um, and again, judges you know, have this long list of factors that they can consider when making this decision on whatever they think would be least restrictive condition to put in place. And then only after some of these less restrictive options they deem are not sufficient, then can they consider bail or electronic monitoring, which are considered the most restrictive conditions for someone's release. And again, they have to kind of get through all of those steps before they can even consider bail or electronic monitoring. And that's in all cases. So cases that are eligible for bail and are not, just because a case is eligible for bail does not mean judges have to set bail. There still is that presumption of release for all cases, because again, people are presumed innocent. And again, we know that people don't need bail or conditions to return to court. So basically what these rollbacks did was they removed all those steps and they replaced it with the standard that existed before 2019 and before bail reform. So instead of judges having to set the least restrictive condition to assure someone returns to court, the law now says um, that they have to set the kind and degree of control or restriction necessary. Um, So that's what they replaced the least restrictive condition with. Um, And for bail eligible cases, not only was the least restrictive standard removed, but the presumption of release was also removed. Um, So this combination of taking out least restrictive, adding in this language of the kind and degree of control or restriction necessary, and then also taking out the presumption of release for certain cases, basically establishes this presumption for control and restriction. That instead of the starting point being freedom, we're now basically telling judges that they can start from a place of like automatic punishment and restriction. And, and there's one other thing I think is important to note with these rollbacks is that it also makes it clear that judges can combine bail with other conditions of release. Um, so in the past few years, we have seen some judges interpret the law that like they can set bail and electronic monitoring, or they can set bail, you know, and weekly check ins, that it's not one or the other. And what these rollbacks did was let them know that they can set bail on top of any other conditions that they want. So basically all of these changes take us backwards by removing a lot of measures that were put in place to prevent judges from imposing excessive punishment pre trial
0: yeah i remember on the on the last episode you joined us for you know you were saying that you know the the changes you know that were then being proposed and now have passed you know are doing a lot more than bringing us back to 2019 um before bail reform they're bringing us back decades um and i think that is really clear in what you just explained um so you know what what does this mean like what's what's the what's the people impact what's the community impact what's what's the human toll we're looking at
1: yeah i mean i think Considering that these changes give so much more power to prosecutors and judges, just knowing from history what that means and what's happened every single time judges and prosecutors get more power to do whatever they want, that usually leads to less freedom and more incarceration um, and more control and supervision and i think specifically removing the least restrictive standard will likely result in judges just defaulting to conditions over just releasing people pre trial i think we'll see what we call like net widening um of you know a, people who may otherwise have been released on their own recognizance instead getting electronic monitoring or you know, getting supervised release instead. Or for bail eligible charges, they'll just, you know, start at bail and just kind of default to setting bail whenever they can. And I think that also not only signals to judges that they should be incarcerating more people, it gives them so much cover to just do whatever they want because they don't have these standards anymore to hold them accountable. Um, and I think with that, again, we'll just see an increased jail population and continued racial disparities, if not increased racial disparities. Um, I mean, we're definitely going to keep an eye on its impact, um, and how it's impacting the jails, how it is impacting what we're seeing in terms of racial disparities, what we're seeing in terms of bail amounts. All of that. And I think another really important thing is that it seems like it's sending a message to the public that the legislature is improving public safety in some way with these changes. And I think in reality, what it's really doing is just distracting from what communities actually need for safety, like, you know, actually using the budget to fund things that will. Actually, make us safer, like mental health programs and supportive housing and substance use treatment. And, you know, with these rollbacks, which I think will end up just landing more people in jail, will do the opposite. Um, We know that, you know, isolating people and putting them in jail, cutting them off from any support doesn't do anything to help them. Um, And it certainly, you know, doesn't do anything to help. Communities as a whole, which again will just make us less safe in the long run. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's really legislative sleight of hand. Of hey, look over here. We did something that we think has the word safety in it, and that's that's what we're doing. And the opposite is what is true, and it, it has a devastating impact on people. Um, you know, the idea that even more people are going to be going into jails like Rikers, um, which is not in, the conditions there are not improving. You know, it's just it's it's terrifying.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really really is.
0: You know, I think, and we talked a little bit about what people misunderstand about these changes, and you know, we we want people to kind of see through the facade, you know, and you've you've been you know with envision freedom in the fight for expanding pretrial freedom for a long time for 5 years and obviously there are people who've been doing this for for even longer and you know we we make progress and sometimes we have setbacks um like this can you talk about you know why it's so important that we keep pushing forward even when we have setbacks like this
1: yeah um i think you've said it earlier. And it's that lives are literally on the line with the work that we do. Um, And just knowing what's happening in our jails, what happened, you know, over the past few years, the record number of deaths in jails, you know, every step back, it's like that much more important that we keep pushing forward. Um, Just knowing the impact that these systems have had and continue to have and we've learned a lot along the way too of you know what we could be doing differently better moving forward so optimistic in in some sense but yeah just knowing how important it is for people's actual lives um and that these really are life or death issues that do require yeah as many people fighting as as possible
0: yeah yeah i mean it's not it's not hyperbole. Um, it's it's real, and you know I think another thing to point out is that you know this this work happens all year round. Um, it doesn't only happen in the thirty three days that the budget is laid or the ninety days before that. Um, you know we're working on this all year round. We have coalition partners who are working on this all year round. There are activists and organizers who are constantly um, pushing and demanding better and real investments in our safety. And, you know, and that's something that I know that we're going to continue doing at Envision Freedom. And I also want to make a quick plug for our seven tips um, guide because we have to keep talking about bail reform. This isn't going away. We've been talking about it nonstop for Four years, really. Um, And we have to keep doing it. So we'll drop in the show notes a link to our guide to uh, help people have productive, meaningful conversations about about bail reform, about pretrial freedom, about the harms of pretrial detention um, so that we can keep pushing forward and um, adding more people into the into this movement. Thank you, Zoe, for joining us today to walk us through all of this and um, really guide us through the the ins and outs of a complex, important issue that has really strong impacts on our legislation, on our communities, um, and on our future. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Dismantling Injustice is brought to you by Envision Freedom Fund, an organization that works to transform the immigration and criminal legal systems while meeting the critical needs of individuals impacted by these systems daily. To learn more about our work and donate, visit us at envisionfreedom.org. That's envisionfreedom.org. Dismantling Injustice was created by Sali Israel. Our executive producer is Abigail Wolf. This podcast is produced and engineered by Yasi Solutions and hosted by Carl Hammett Lipscomb that's me. Special thanks to the team at Envision Freedom for being amazing. Until we're all free, peace out.